Welcome to See Through Hobart Online. You're listening to a message in our newest series, Our Highest Pursuit. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Awesome, so good. Do you know, uh, if this is your first time here today, you'll probably have noticed two things already. Firstly, uh, yeah, you guys, can, uh, you guys can take a little bit of a rest. Firstly uh, is that our team, whether it be Bailey, whether it be Kyle, whether it be Ali, are passionate, right? They're passionate for the gospel. They're passionate for what we do. And the other thing about it is that they're real because that's who we are. We're a church that is real. And uh, it's kind of, um, I'm going to trip over that, I reckon, because it's going to be one of those ones where I feel like I'm going to move a little bit. Because the word I have today is going to be passionate, I think, and it's going to be real. It's a, it's a message that in many ways could have been the opening message of the series, but for a variety of reasons I held it back to today. In my heart it feels like a, a simple word, and I'm still not sure that it's formed in the way I want it to be formed. It's nagged me week after week, and so my prayer is that, is that you'll look past the words I say and you'll see the fresh manner that God wants to download. If you are new with us to uh, C3, I just want to say a huge welcome to you. It is the middle of school holidays and we've got a full house in here. Uh, it's pouring with rain and God is good. God is good. And, and no matter where you're at today, whether you've walked in the door and maybe your faith journey has been all over the place, maybe you feel like you haven't even started a faith journey uh, or maybe you're flying, absolutely flying. I, I just want to, I just pray that, that the whole service, the worship, the word, the fellowship is just something that impacts to you, not just by Sunday afternoon, but just you're able to carry for the rest of the week. For some months, I've been engrossed uh, in a story of a, of a Bible character by the name of Nehemiah, and Alicia introduced us to him a few weeks back. Uh, in, a, in a pretty spectacular message. And for those who need a quick refresh up, he resides in a palace uh, at, at a place called Shusan um, because his job is cupbearer to the king. And having spent five years working closely with a royal family, I can attest that the cupbearer job is real. It's not just a fairy tale story that you read there. The job of cupbearer is real. I'm not sure what their position description says, but I can tell you they are very respected within the royal family, especially by the king and the queen. Because ultimately, they're not just the dietitian or the, the nutritionist for the king and the queen. They are kind of like the, 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 the secret service because in reality, they have to take a bullet for the king and the queen. And it kind of sounds like this is a bit of a fairy tale type thing that happened. It happens. Is that is it each morning I would, I would go in there and the king would be sitting at his table and the only one in the room with him would be the cupbearer. They didn't call it a cupbearer, but that's effectively what it was. What has drawn me to Nehemiah, though, is that in all respects, he is just a common, everyday guy. But he's a common everyday guy who cared enough to ask his mates, are you okay? But then he allowed God 
to use him to bring a spiritual awakening to a nation that had lost their perspective and their hope. And before we get into the text today, the reason I'm so passionate about this is because we live in a post-Christian world. And I don't even like saying that, but we do. And we live in a world that has not only turned from the good news of the gospel, but we are facing opposition to the very name of Jesus. Only this week, you may not have known it, but it matters to some. Only this week, the Mercury newspaper removed their daily scripture. After 24 years. And a member, a beautiful elderly member of our community asked me to ring them and find out why. Because every day she would cut them out and put them on her fridge. So they mattered to people. And the editor said to me, well, yeah, but there's opposition to the name of Jesus. So we took it out. Don't go blaming the mercury. This is what we face. And so as we read Nehemiah, for those who haven't read Nehemiah, the, the, they'd come back out of exile. They'd been back in their time. These were a faith-filled nation and, and yet they were facing opposition and they had become, uh, they'd lost all perspective and they'd lost all hope. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. You with me, church? Yeah. Yeah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. I'm reading from the TLB. And it says this, In December of the 20th year of the reign of King Xerxes of Persia, when I was at the palace at Shushan, one of my fellow Jews named Hanai came to visit me with some men who had arrived from Judah. I took the opportunity to inquire about how things were going in Jerusalem. How are they getting along? I asked the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem from their exile here. I was speaking with a good friend of mine the other day who happens to be a pastor. I do have other friends, but he happened to be a pastor. And during the conversation, I, I, I said to him that I was actually fearful of calling him up and asking him how he was doing because I'd heard on the grapevine through a few other people that he had been doing it fairly tough. He had a few significant pastoral issues going on within his church. And so I, I kind of said, man, I, I actually didn't want to call you. And I was kind of joking, and I was kind of not. In fact, the day I called him just happened to be Are You Okay Day. And I am a huge advocate for this day. But I also think it's a blight on our society that we have a national day that has to encourage us to call somebody to say hello. And as I spoke to this pastor, he said that he was dealing with some serious stuff and, and, and to be honest, my day would have been so much easier if I had never picked up the phone. Because what it did is that when, when he told me what was going on, it triggered something inside of me. So I went straight onto my knees in prayer for the next hour about what they're dealing with. And then, then because I'm a bloke and I'm a doer and I've got to fix things, I went about working out how that we're going to work through this for him. And it wasn't because his building was falling down. And it wasn't because of some logistical thing. It was because there were some people within his church that were hurting. There were some people that within his church had lost perspective and had lost hope. These were faith-filled people. 
These were people of his leadership team who, who had done the journey with him, but for somewhere along the line, there was an opposition that had come and they were now in rubble. They were now without hope. When Hanai, who some say may have been his brother, and a few mates dropped into a visit, it would have been almost acceptable for, for Nehemiah to just keep the conversation superficial. You know, kind of take the lads down to the, to the pool room and play a bit of eight ball, then give them a first-hand tour of the wine cellar because when you're the cupbearer, you probably know the wine cellar pretty well. But we read in the very first verse that Nehemiah took, took the opportunity to effectively ask, how is the church? How are the people? And Nehemiah is not stupid. He most likely knew when he took this opportunity to ask, he most likely knew that things weren't going so well. But the reason he asked is because he was concerned. And if you are a note taker or your journal, my first point is, would be is to take the opportunity to ask others how they are. But the second point, and maybe the more important point is this, is be willing to listen. Actually, I was quite impressed with an initiative that Triple J put out this year on Are You OK Day, where they spoke about why people don't actually ask, are you okay? And the reason is, is because they don't know how to follow it up. They don't know what to say when someone says to them, well, actually, I'm not doing that good. So in true Triple J style, they dedicated a full segment to what to say after, are you okay? And it was all about giving people the, the confidence to ask the question by equipping them with ways to respond to the answer. Verse 3 of this text, I'll probably come up on the screen. Verse 3 of this text says, well, they replied. They, have a look at that. You know the conversation's not going great when they all replied. How's things going down there? And it wasn't just one voice coming back. They all replied. Read the Bible, guys. It's fascinating. Little words like that matter. Well, they replied, things are not good. The walls of Jerusalem are still torn down and the gates are burned. The NIV puts it a little bit more dramatically. They say, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. You ever had one of those times when you wished you just didn't ask the question? I spent two decades working as a critical care paramedic. And occasionally I, got, I still get asked now to present a lecture at, at university for the new paramedic students coming through. And one of the, the subjects I speak on is the fact that compassion fatigue is very real. In very simple terms, compassion fatigue is a state of physical and mental exhaustion caused by not only physically caring for, but emotionally hearing about and mentally responding to other people's problems. And not surprisingly, our body's coping mechanism is to simply stop asking. Because then you don't have to care, right? If you don't ask and you don't know, then you don't have to care. I'm not against social media. In fact, it can be a very powerful tool. But it seems like it's morphed from being a, a, a platform where we showed our very, very best 
to a tool whereby we, we tell everybody what's wrong. And then we wonder why we balk at asking people, are they okay? Has anyone ever read the, the story of the Good Samaritan? I'm not talking the Sunday school way that we read this, where we kind of talk about three people walked along the road and, you know, the third person did this. But have you ever read the Good Samaritan story and kind of as you're reading through this, you, you sign, scoff at the first two who walked past and sort of actually crossed to the other side of the road and left him there and you think to yourself, that would never be me. Let me read it. Actually, let me read it. Sorry, guys, you won't have this text. Here's the thing with the Good Samaritan story. Most people, it's, it's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Most people will start at verse 30 because that's actually where the heading comes in, parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me go back a few verses because you've got to get context to this. Back in 25, it says this, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said to him, go and do this. Then he tells a story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him, beat him, left him on the side of the road half dead. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road. Notice what it says there. When he saw the man lying there, it's not that he didn't see him. When he saw the man lying there, he made a decision in his mind to cross to the other side of the road. Why? Because the priest probably had compassion fatigue. Have you ever thought about that? The priest might have been sick of people telling him their problems. Or maybe he just didn't know how to deal with it. I got you thinking a little bit today, yeah? Uh, where am I to? A priest has been there. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. A temple assistant, a dude who works in the church, walked over, looked at him, made a choice to walk to the other side. Then the scriptures say this, then a despised Samaritan, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He felt something inside of him. Going over to him, the Samaritan man smoothed his wounds with olive oil, bandaged him up, put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and paid for everything and then went back and said, I'll pay even more. You can't love your neighbour if you're too busy crossing the road. You can't love your neighbour if you're too busy crossing the road to the other side. You can't love your neighbour if you don't take the opportunity to say, are you okay? I titled this message, it's more than just asking, are you okay? And the next passage of scripture is where I, I drew my inspiration. I want you to love me after this church, it's okay. 
Verse 4. When I, Nehemiah, heard this, I sat down and cried. When I heard that my nation was in pain, had turned away from Jesus, I sat down and cried. When I heard that my brother and my sister had walked away from the church, I sat down and cried. When I heard that my family member was speaking ill about my God, I sat down and I cried. When's the last time we cried? When's the last time we cried for our nation? For our fellow people? He goes on to say, I refused to eat for several days and then I spent time in prayer to the God of heaven. Go straight to chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Sorry, I'm all over the place. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Four months later, here's the thing. This wasn't just, I'll give a quick prayer and I'm right. Four months later, as I was serving the king his wine, he asked me, why are you so sad, bro? You aren't sick. You look like a man with deep troubles. For, and until then, I'd always been cheerful when I was with him. I was badly frightened. But I replied, sir, why shouldn't I be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been burned down. The king said this, well, what should be done? You know, this is more than a story of physical walls to a city being burnt down. This was about their spiritual journey. Listen to what Nehemiah says, though. With a quick prayer to the God of heaven. So again, his first response is, God, what do I do? With a quick prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases your majesty and if you look upon me with your royal favour, send me. I'm not Stephen Furtick, but I'm going to use this. Everyone say, send me. Say it again. Say it like we mean this. Send me. This is what he said. When the king said to him, what should we do? His choice was to cross to the other side and say, no problem, I'll have your new cup of wine in just a moment. Instead, what he said was, send me. His choice was to be the priest and say, I'm going to look down at him. and Oh, he's in pain. He's in spiritual pain. My people are hurting. But instead, he says, send me. The heart behind this message is, is not so much based on whether we choose to ask people, are you okay? But is our willingness to give a damn to what they say. The reason I focused on Nehemiah is because he might have removed him. He, he might have been removed from the situation. He's in a palace and he's, he's doing his thing, but he never removed himself from the presence of God. And when you stay in touch with God, I find that God stays in touch with you. Story of the prodigal son. Do you know the prodigal son cut ties with his family? He cut ties with his faith. Yet the beauty of the story is that there was a father who never stopped going to the roadway and looking for his son. Thanks, Andrew. I spoke earlier about compassion fatigue and it's a diagnosed condition that people suffer from and they're prescribed a medical and a pharmaceutical treatment plan. Yet there is a thing 
called faith fatigue that may not be diagnosed, but is very, very real. But see, here's the difference. The difference is not an overabundance of God. Instead, it tends to be when we choose to distance ourselves away from God. You see, we get a faith fatigue when we choose to walk to the other side of the road. We get a faith fatigue when we choose to distance ourselves from God. I don't think I've heard anybody ever get faith fatigued by being in his presence continuously with a cup that overflows. The scriptures tell us, let your cups overflow. What we get it is when the cups go dry. Nehemiah was a man of faith. And his eternity was assured and he he could have easily have asked the guys who came to visit him, are you guys okay? And, And even listened to their plight. But what set Nehemiah apart is that he said, despite the cost, despite the opposition, despite the challenges that I know I will face, despite the financial burden that this is going to be to me, read the Scriptures, it cost him big time. He said, send me to do the work. He said, send me to the other side of the road to pick up the wounded person. He said, send me to the Huon Valley to reach a community that desperately needs Jesus. He said, send me to that connection point in order that I might be an encouragement to others. He said, send me to the sheep that's gone astray. Don't just cheer on the shepherd who went. But put up your hand and say, send me. Nehemiah was a common man. He was not a priest, a prophet. He didn't have his religious training. He was a cupbearer to the king. Yet he said, send me in order that I may do what God has got me to do. might be heavy work and I can assure you of this when you say send me God it will mess up your manicured calendar it'll mess up your life it'll mess up your plans it'll mess up your finances in a good way I'm telling you it'll mess up some friendships It'll mess up some of the ways you think. But the reward was a nation that turned back to God. I'm going to ask you to stand. As you do, I'm just going to read a scripture from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. It's titled in my Bible, it says, The Hope of Eternal Life. See, because Nehemiah said, Send me, 
because he saw a hope, because he stayed close to God. It says this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectations. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled. Beyond the reaches of change. Beyond the reaches of a nation trying to pull it down. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this very gift. A gift that is ready to be revealed on the last day for all of us to see. He goes on to say, so be truly glad, people. Be truly glad because there is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you may endure trials for a little while to come, these trials will show that your faith is the real deal. So when your faith remains strong, it will bring you and it will bring others praise and glory and honour. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. Lord, I pray that this has been a word for just one person today. That just one person in their heart has heard those words of send me. And it may be that we we don't feel like we can fix a nation, but we might be able to be there for the person next door to us. It mightn't be that we're going to physically build a wall that surrounds a city and see 50,000 people come back to a hope in their God. But it might be by who we are when we say, send me, that we see a loved one come back to know you. So just as our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you if God has been saying to you, today to say, send me, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just where you are and see all over there how his hand's going up. Eyes are closed. This is just between you and God. This is about saying, send me to do your work right across this place. Just put them up loud. Put them up strong. Because when Nehemiah did it, he didn't just sort of go out the back door. He said to the king, send me. Thank you, you can put them down. I'm going to get the team to that song we did last. I just want to finish with this, Owen. I want to tell you today, that if you give yourself to Him, God will plant a seed inside of you that will grow into a holy discontent. If you let God have your whole heart, He will mess with your life.
And like Nehemiah, He will use you to impact the world in ways that you could never have imagined. Thanks for joining us today at C3 Hobart Online. If you were impacted by this message or you'd like to know a bit more about our church and what we do, you can get in touch with us via our website, c3hobart.org.au. See you next time.